Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, May 8th, or rather, Monday, May 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the FDA considers allowing birth control pills to be sold over the counter. Then, what changes can be expected as the COVID-19 public health emergency comes to an end? Plus, a Mississippi student places runner-up in a national poetry competition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. An advisory board to the FDA has recommended the federal agency approve an over-the-counter birth control pill. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Michelle Colon. She's executive director of Shiro, Mississippi. That stands for Sisters Helping Every Woman Rise and Organize. The organization advocates for reproductive rights. She says expanding access to birth control can save lives in a post-Dobbs era. I think any time that uh, any type of medication uh, is approved and easily accessible and affordable, uh, especially for women's reproductive health and, and pregnant people's reproductive health, is always a good thing. I think probably now the FDA, I know, I think that they were just trying to kind of like stay above the fray with this whole battle, but I believe that they see that this, uh, with the Dodge decision, and we're coming up on the year, um, the obstacles and just how hard it is to be a person, a person who can give birth in this country in regards to their reproductive health, how difficult it is to get the basics. So it doesn't surprise me, but then again, it does. I think the biggest surprise for me is like, why isn't birth control just readily available anyway without a prescription? I mean, as long as people are consulting with their health provider and doing the research that, you know, doing research on their own and making the you know, decision for themselves, why isn't all birth control pills available, easily available? I guess that's the question that we should be asking and answering. Could I ask you why you think that is and your expertise? Why do you think it's yeah, not? It, it should be easier. It should be easier and, and more affordable in accessing because, you know, there, you know, it's, it's, it's two different prongs. You know, having it available, the counter is one thing, but then having it uh, affordable for people to access it, that's another challenge. Um, I think the reason why it's not, or, it, you know, not everything is not, is because of the bureaucracy. There's a lot of, I don't want to say what, you know, BS involved and stuff like that. I think it, it's also, you know, a, a money thing. So everybody's got to kind of get their little cut out of it. Um, 
but I don't understand why it's not, you know, uh, easy, you know, over the counter. I mean, you can buy cigarettes over the counter. You can buy alcohol over the counter. And uh, I'm not trying to, you know, be facetious or anything like that, but you can buy cough syrup and things like that and, and aspirin. So why is it that we cannot access birth control pills without a prescription over the counter? Again, you know, I, as long as someone is, is, is getting, you know, direction or has consulted with their, their primary caregiver, they've gotten okay, like, okay, go ahead, this is fine with you. It should be readily available and affordable. How do you think this decision, if it is finalized by the FDA, how could it change the landscape of reproductive health in the United States post-OBS? Well, it, it tremendously because sex, people are having sex. People will continue to have sex, uh, whether they're married or not. And not everyone that's having sex is trying to reproduce or procreate. And so, you know, just like with, with condoms, I think that any type of preventative uh, medicine or, or, or um, preventative measures is always a positive thing. And so, yeah, it's most likely, you know, a lot of times, you know, people who find themselves pregnant, um, it's because their their regular contraception um, method, contraceptive methods didn't work, or perhaps they couldn't afford to, you know, use um, the birth control pill. You know, again, we have to remember condoms don't work for everybody in the sense that, you know, some people are allergic to various types of the material in the condoms or what have you. So, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer for me, The you know, that, you know, why is it that we don't here in America in 2023, why we don't have, um, we don't make it more, you know, easily accessible to obtain um, the necessary things that we need to prevent unwanted or unplanned pregnancies. Um, you know, again, even, look, everyone knows it's very well documented that I'm, I'm pro-abortion. Um, but, you know, I'm also pro-reproductive health and, 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 and reproductive choices and sexual health, you know. And so, you know, why not for those people who are against abortion and who are so concerned with, you know, with, you know, high abortion cases and, and things like that, why not support um, efforts to make birth control, um, you know, available over the counter without a prescription and also affordable? I mean, it should be free. All of it should be free. If I were the president or whoever, the one who made the rules, it would be free. How could this decision, if it's finalized, affect reproductive health in this state? Oh, it would make a tremendous. It would be, definitely be beneficial because um, Mississippi is a not only a, 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 a healthcare desert, but when, when you're talking about reproductive health and sexual health, we're kind of like out here on our own. It's like almost like you know, survivor or like naked and afraid. One of those, you know dystopian TV shows, um, it will make a tremendous difference because, um, you know, there's a lot of shame and stigma still um, involved with people going to their healthcare providers and discussing birth control um, with their primary physician, especially if they're someone who is not married. Um, you know, you you go to some, some providers, they chastise women and birthing people like, well, you guys are married or whatever, whatever. Don't you want to have children? You know, um, you know, in, in certain hospitals, they, you know, a, a woman still needs to get permission, you know, her husband's permission to have her tubes tied or something like that. So I think this would be uh, extremely beneficial for women and birthing people in Mississippi to be able to, you know, um, exercise. The, bottle, the little bodily autonomy that we still have left remaining um, in, you know, being able to go and purchase um, birth control uh, pills, you know, over the counter without a prescription. It's liberating. So other than, than shame, which you were just talking about, are there any other barriers currently in Mississippi, whether they be social factors, economic factors, 
that prevent or dissuade people from trying to access birth control as it currently exists? You know, it's the financial barrier, also just the access as far as there, you know, there aren't uh, health care providers in, in several rural towns in parts of Mississippi where people can, can go, um, you know, to get to get birth control. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Mississippi is one of those states that also um, allows their uh, pharmacists and, you know, the people who work in pharmacies to, you know, claim the, the moral clause. So, you know, if you go to a pharmacy um, that would that, that would possibly have this available, you know, the other challenge is, is there going to be somebody there on staff who is actually going to sell me or sell Mississippians the birth control pill, um, you know, bring up the order or what have you. So, you know, the thing about Mississippi is, you know, regardless of what the rest of the country does, there's going to always be a wall or another barrier, another line of, you know, defense in regards to stopping people from being free, uh, and in particular with the reproductive and sexual health. So um, if this, if this, you know, if, I hope that, you know, it will, you know, it can continue passing all the tests and I hope that it will be readily available, especially in states like Mississippi, um, Alabama, Louisiana and uh, Tennessee. Michelle Colon is executive director of Shiro, Mississippi. Up next, the COVID-19 public health emergency has ended, possibly changing how Mississippians navigate the lasting effects of the disease. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A public health emergency initially issued by former President Donald Trump has expired. It ends federal benefits for millions of Americans. Under the emergency declaration, Medicaid halted taking people off the rolls. Coronavirus health expenses were paid by the government and public health data was more widely available. The order was extended multiple times since it was initially signed and was allowed to expire once caseloads declined nationwide. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Dr. John Cross, president of the Mississippi State Medical Association, about what the lifting of this public emergency means for the city. Physicians are still working closely with the Mississippi State Health Department to help track and and keep up with the latest up-to-date information. Uh, I think by closing or ending the federal public health emergency declaration, that does change uh, on how the CDC does report some of its data. Uh, I think they're going to go to a weekly uh, data processing. Uh, currently, they have a county-by-county county, um, count that they keep up with that the health department looks at as well as uh, the city physicians' offices. Uh, but, you know, in a, in a larger sense, you know, the, the, the vaccines are still available you know, for high-risk people. They're still, you know, testing at home. Um, there may be the state health department does still offer free testing. Uh, health insurance providers may uh, decide whether or not they're going to keep doing uh, free testing or not. Uh, but of course, treatments to COVID are still available, such things like Paxlovid and those other things. Uh, 
Uh, it's still good to check with your healthcare physician uh, if you need early treatment, if you're having symptoms. So I guess the biggest thing is going to be how the CDC reports some of its data, uh, and it, it won't kind of be doing it on a more weekly basis more global and grand scale than the specific uh, data reporting is doing now. So missing physicians are still seeing uh, COVID. You know, I, I think if you look at the health department breakdown, you know, we've got close to 13,400 deaths total uh, since the pandemic began. Uh, we're getting really close to a million reported cases on the State Department health website. Uh, I think there was 988 cases uh, the last reported uh, week that came out uh, with still around 23 deaths. Uh, so, you know, the, the pandemic has moved into more of an endemic stage. Um, the, the virus is still present, um, but it's not at the severity uh, and the intensity as it was uh, before. So I think we've got a much better understanding of the virus uh, and how to treat the virus uh, to hopefully minimize uh, any long-term effects like, uh, like the previous pandemic. I wanted to get your thoughts as what would be your advice to Mississippians going forward as we are in this endemic stage especially now that the PHE is being lifted. As you've described, it sounds like the pandemic is over, but we, it's still not completely eradicated as a threat. Well, I, I think, it, you know, now it's, it's part of our vernacular and our, and our differential. You know, when someone comes in with upper respiratory symptoms, cough, cold, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we used to get rapid strep tests. We used to get mono tests. Uh, now we think about COVID tests, you know. So uh, I think it's in a differential, uh, but it's not anything we can definitely, you know, panic about and, uh, no need to, to close businesses at this point. You know, the things that we learned uh, during the pandemic, you know, are always good during whether it's flu season or, you know, uh, full COVID, you know, stuff like washing your hands. You know, if you're sick, you know, stay at home and stay away from people that may be, you know, compromised. Uh, and, and to look out for those factors uh, before going and possibly exposing others to, to some sort of viral illness. Uh, and those things are important whether it's flu season, uh, whether it's uh, any other kind of viral uh, syndrome. One of the biggest things as this PHE is ending is Medicaid uh, benefits will begin to expire once again. Um, People will begin to face disenrollment. What would be your advice for Mississippians who might face disenrollment? What are some of the steps they might need to take if they feel like they need to continue their benefits or reapply? Well, I guess I would point them back to our division of Medicaid uh, because they're continually updating, um, you know, different policy changes. Uh, you know, I know we had the uh, extension of benefits for, for mothers uh, extended from 60 days to uh, full 12 months in the past legislative session. So I would keep up with the uh, Department of Medicaid website to see if any changes have been made. Uh, and you can speak with someone in their office or the state health department to help about enrollment of services. You know, our state health county health departments uh, they do a, a lot of a lot of work around the state uh, and they have some resources available that not everyone knows about so I would check with your county health department uh, and also check with the, with the office division of Medicaid because things are uh, always changing and adapting uh, based on the needs of our Mississippi uh, patients as cases have died down we've seen a a less strenuous message towards getting vaccinated what what is the current advice towards vaccines when it comes to the coronavirus uh, when should people be considering getting uh, booster doses and things of that nature well i think it's always important to discuss that with your uh, personal physician based on what other uh, medical conditions you have uh, whether you're at higher risk from a um, uh, obesity standpoint with your diabetic hypertensive uh, maybe uh, cancer or decreased immune system, uh, asthma and allergies, uh, I think your individual physician will be able to help let you know about, you know, when you're needed to get those vaccinations. The last booster dose was 
created last fall, and I would expect maybe a once-a-year type vaccination uh, to cover the most current strains. You know, we've had several different versions of that vaccine from when it first started during the pandemic before. So I, I think I would talk to your local personal physician uh, to see when you uh, get your next vaccine. As a doctor, I wanted to get your thoughts on what it feels like to finally be out from underneath this PHE. Uh, I know we've been, as doctors, y'all have gone through so much since the beginning of the pandemic. I guess we want to encourage you know, the physician-led team, that, and that's all sorts of medical professionals, physicians, respiratory therapists, you know, bedside nurses, all of them have been very important in this pandemic. Uh, it's been a difficult time, an emotional draining time. You know, we, we want to make sure that we're caring for our patients, and that's what we do. That's what community hospitals and clinics around the state have done is they've cared for their community. People are sick during a pandemic. So healthcare profession as a whole and clinics are still working through some staffing issues and some financial issues, uh, but we're still at the root of it trying to do the best uh, to help the patients. Now that coronavirus is potentially, you know, in the rearview mirror for the most part, what do you think the medical community can take away from everything that they've learned over the past few years? Well, I mean, the coronavirus in different forms has, you know, been done with all kinds of respiratory uh, type illnesses. You know, I think it's important uh, to recognize symptoms early. I think it's important to uh, protect the most uh, at-risk patients early. Um, I think telehealth has been very important. Uh, I think using technology to make contact with patients, to follow up with patients, uh, and increase access of care uh, for patients to see physicians is very important. And, you know, it also stresses the importance of our uh, local health departments, our county health departments, and our state health officer uh, and our Mississippi State Department of Health. Uh, and the importance uh, that, you know, pandemics affect all sorts of the economy uh, as well as the community. Um, and it's very important to continue to encourage young people to go into health care, continue to support uh, the health care foundations of our community. Dr. John Cross is president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Cross, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Kobe. Coming up, a Mississippi student shares his experience reciting poetry on a national stage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A Mississippi student has won runner-up in the National Poetry Out Loud competition. Edward Wilson Jr. is a senior at Jackson Preparatory School and placed as state champion in the Mississippi Poetry Out Loud competition, which was held in March. He speaks with our Kobe Vance about what it took to get to Washington, D.C. to compete in the national competition and winning runner-up. I'm still in pretty big shock. Um, <laughs> it was it was really great. It was a lot of adulation in the moment and just much appreciation for a lot of stuff that went into making sure that I could be there in that moment and do what I did, not just this year, but really the last four years. So it's, it's everything coming to full circle. What was the journey like getting to that point? Uh, well, the... Structurally, it was winning school competition, regional, state, becoming the nationals, uh, and then being in the top three and then competing for that in that last round. Um, but realistically, it's been a lot of work with my coach, with Wilkinson, a lot of work with other people in, my, in the English department of my school, 
uh, this year, in the last three years. I mean, I've done this for the maybe year that I've uh, been in high school, and just basic public speaking things, poetry, analyzation, and understanding. And Poetry at Live is an event not really like other speaking events. It was just so, because it had specific grading criteria, you know, evidence of understanding, uh, dramatic appropriateness, et cetera, and, and getting training and honing those things so that they're natural and that you're prepared. I mean, it's, it's been a lot. It's been, it's been fun. It's been uh, very great to get to work with someone as amazing as my coach and the people at my school, and uh, I'm really glad to have done it. What got you into poetry? Poetry Out Loud, in particular, it was it's uh, a required assignment for my ninth and t- ninth and tenth grade for getting into orally doing poetry. Uh, I do speech or debate, and one of the events that I frequently do is poetry, uh, and it just became fun to recite out poetry and to be able to express it to people and have them really understand it from your perspective and maybe even draw some own things from your performance and just performing in general just seems has always been really great for me and I've loved doing it and so Poetry Out Loud seemed like an excellent thing addition to have for that. What was it like standing on stage and having to recite poetry in such a high intensity environment? It was it was interesting. I certainly felt a lot prepared for it having done speech and debate the last four years and of course having to have to do it in several venues before even getting up to that point still was a lot different. Um, and since, you know, I knew it was being live recorded and there's lots of people in the audience. And of course, this was for all the marbles. Um, so that, that did raise the stakes, but I felt adequately prepared. What has been some of the reaction you've gotten back from your family? Also, were they able to travel with you in any way? Yeah, yeah, they were. And uh, my, my father was with me and uh, everyone in my family was watching along. Um, and then they were all very happy. And, you know, it's, <laughs> my mother was up through the moon. It was, everyone's been, it's been an incredible welcoming. And they were all very proud of me. And I was, I was proud to make them proud. Growing up, I also was a student here in Mississippi. Outside, there are people who disparage the state for poor reading scores. But internally, we've been taught about some of the historic authors and poets that have come from our area. What does it feel like to be now a part of that history to show that Mississippi has so much to offer when it comes to the literary arts? It it feels really great that I can continue that story, but I think one of the biggest things is just to show people that it's not starting now. Like you said, we we have so many great writers, so many great people of the arts that we've already had, and, you know, highlighting them and showing that this is not something that we're getting on a roll now. It's something trained to still keeping going but you know it's not finding itself it keeps still going it's been going uh and it's nice to be part of that and and i'm glad that i can maybe show some other people just how great our state is in terms of producing individuals who could do literary talent like that and and i want people in our state to be proud of it too you know i had a chance to talk with congressman thompson while i was there and we both agreed you know one of the bigger issues that we're really passionate about is how many smart Right, you know, young men and women who end up leaving the state because now that you talk about that dual issue of how the, the state is seen, and there's people in state who don't get to see that we have the talent and the ability to, to make the state great, and you know, and they leave, and you see great Mississippi people from all over the place, except for the fact that they're living everywhere except Mississippi, and so that that I want to be a part of making that change.
What would be your words to another young Mississippian, whether it be your age or someone younger, about getting into the arts? Never be afraid of doing what makes you happy. There's all kinds of stigma about art, particularly for guys that I found. I mean, one of the things, the, one of the things I noted when we got at Nationals is that almost all of the champions were female, which, you know, is no problem at all. Of course not. But it, it's there is a stigma with, with the guy who's going to come up there and talk about poetry or the mic, you know, and, and there are, you know, other art things. And so, and I, I just want to make sure that people know that if it, you're happy with it and that's the thing you do, why not do it? And that's, I think that very few people won't be able to find some form of the performing arts that just makes them feel great. You know, whether it's drawing or arts or poetry or doing show choir or singing, et cetera. I think I, I really find it really impossible for someone to not find some part of the performing arts or the arts in general that won't make them happy. And I say, go for it. Don't, don't care about the perception. Care about what's going to make you happy. I mean, this is time you're not going to get back. Boy, do I know, you know, the last few years. And I, I thought, I think about what I could have had, what type of experience that I had in DC, which was incredible that I could have had if maybe I'd done this different or a little bit, you know, more focus on this incredible activity. So, don't waste that. Don't don't allow your happiness to be put on hold because you're scared about some stigma about what people are going to say about you or, or, or you're worried about how putting yourself out there and doing what you're going to do is going to come off on other people. Edward Wilson Jr. is a student at Jackson Prep. He placed runner-up in this year's National Poetry Out Loud competition. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.